here on the Sports Holic Podcast with Max Zucker and Sean Conway. It's been a long month off, Sean, but it's been an exciting month. You're now an officially a married man. Congratulations again to you and Lindsay. That's uh, the majority of one of the main reasons we've been off of the podcast again for the last month. But again, it's been really joyous. I enjoyed every second of your wedding, Sean. It was a joyous wonderful weekend i was so happy to celebrate you two guys getting married um what's new with you though you know married life's been pretty fun our honeymoon was awesome and the wedding was just absolutely just the best day of my life great food we had great beer molly's pint our favorite brewery oh yeah was the uh the beer vendor for it and they came out and everything as well and everyone loved the beer we tapped all four kegs that uh they brought and it was just, you know, a good time was, was had by uh, by everyone. I feel it was just, a, you know, a really, really fun wedding. A lot of people were telling us it was, you know, the best wedding they've been to or one of the best weddings they've been to, which is always cool to hear. Agreed. It was actually also really nice to hear about all the uh, the, the several negative cases uh, people came people who were, came to support us and celebrate our wedding with us. They A lot of people heard, heard back negative testing, which was also really positive because, you know, it was a little bit risky having a group gathering during all this but we, yes. we did follow as many uh, of the you know covid protocols as we could to make it safe for everyone and and it showed so it was a good one good wedding i really enjoyed everyone you know coming out and celebrating with us and then our honeymoon was fantastic we went to Asheville, which is definitely after visiting a destination that we want to move to we were considering it but now after going there we are sold we want to go there we did four days of hiking while we were there, 12 miles total, about 2,800 feet of elevation gained over those hikes over throughout the four days. We stopped at 11 breweries, which is a, uh, a new record for us, I would Sick. say, in a, on a, uh, a holiday, <laughs> or not a holiday, a, a vacation, I guess, if you, holiday, if you're European, you call it that, but <laughs> but yeah, uh, for a vacation, 11 breweries we were able to stop at, and one of them will be featured later tonight, or today on the show. But it was really, it's been it's been fun, you know, and uh, we really tried to get back on the podcast well over a week ago, actually, Max, and just between you and I, we had technical difficulties going back and forth, whether you were having issues or I Literally, was having issues. Literally, your computer then, crashed, my computer crashed, yep, I mean, it was just My computer a, you know, just started working, I was, we were going to try to do it on my Chromebook, and then that wasn't going to work today, and then all of a sudden, out of, you know, sheer luck, a restart helped my computer go back to uh working so now we are back on it so hopefully we can be back to a consistent schedule again and get into bids and snubs even more we've got two great matchups this week and max why don't you get started first on your side of the bids argument and i think mine's got a pretty good argument as well yeah, I, yeah. I mean, these are two both uh, former Green Bay Packers, some of uh, Aaron Rodgers' favorite receivers. That's for darn sure. Um, in fact, both playing in the same Super Bowl game. Greg Jennings is one of them. He was a two-time Pro Bowler, and of course, the one-time Super Bowl champion back in 2010. He was a factor in that Super Bowl game. Sean. Four catches, 64 yards, and two receiving touchdowns. The latter of those two touchdowns ceiling. Uh, the deal essentially for the Packers over the Steelers in that, of course, sad Super Bowl for us for Bears fans. But um, what a factor he was again on the field. He ranks in the top 100 for uh, all receivers in the major categories. His 
8,291 yards is 88th all-time. His 571 career receptions puts him at 96. And his 64 career uh, receiving touchdowns puts him at 65th again on the all-time list. I think this guy has a great case, but let's hear uh, the side, of course, for Jordy Nelson. Yeah, Jordy Nelson also one of the uh, favorites, favorite targets for Aaron Rodgers throughout uh, throughout his career. Nine seasons with Green Bay, and then obviously that one with with Oakland as well. Six hundred thirteen receptions for eighty five over almost eighty six hundred yards, I should say, and averaged. 14 yards of reception throughout his career. 72 touchdowns, one-time Pro Bowl, one-time Super Bowl champ, obviously with the Green Bay Packers. And then after suffering a devastating torn ACL in Week 2 preseason game in 2015, it was kind of considered his uh, quote-unquote lost season, he returned in 2016 to be the 2016 Comeback Player of the Year. He had 97 receptions on 152 targets for 1,257 wow. yards. And led the, the the league that year with 14 touchdowns, reception touchdowns, I should say, for to be the comeback player of the year. I think in this case, I the bid and snub. I feel Jordy Nelson might get the edge in uh, in this one. I'm not sure if you agree with me there, but I, I feel just with you know those kind of numbers, averaging 14 yards of reception, 72 touchdowns throughout his career. I feel he gets the edge in this one. How about you? Yeah, again, like I said, uh, Jennings a really nice career, uh, again, but 88th, 96th, and 56th all-time. Nice, but not Hall of Fame necessarily. This guy, though, to me, Sean Shefflin, should have been a slam-dunk Hall of Famer and is definitely sitting on the snub side. His name is Sean Alexander. Everyone remembers the powerful Seahawks running back. He was a three-time pro bowler, in my opinion, probably should have made it five or six times. He was a one-time all-pro, and, of course... The 2005 league MVP when he led the league in rushing with 1,880 yards. And he had 27 rushing touchdowns that year, Sean. That's the second most rushing touchdowns in a single season. Next to, of course, LaDamian Thomason, who would have 28 just a year later. He also... uh, was a member of the Hall of Fame All-2000s team, and he should have been. And his 100 career rushing touchdowns puts him in the top 10 list at 8th all-time. And he was part of the 2005 Super Bowl team. They lost to the Steelers, but he had a nice game. He had 20 carries for 95 yards in the Super Bowl, and they just fell short to the Steelers in that game. But, um... I just go with 100 career rushing touchdowns, 8th all-time. That, to me, I just think deserves at least for him to go one more round. But let's hear your arguments for Jamal Lewis. Jamal Lewis, uh, you know, one of the uh, all-time leading rushers, 25th all-time. I feel like that's a little bit higher on the number. I think 25th all-time is a little bit better of an argument than, like, with what we have with Greg Jennings and, you know, 66th or 80th or whatever the numbers sure. were that you had listed. I think 25th is a little bit more of a of a higher number to, to put on your resume for eh, Hall of Fame argument, top 25 all time. Uh, and it's pretty good. 2,500 rushes for 10,607 yards. That's where it puts them at 25th. 4.2 yards in attempt, 58 touchdowns. One time Pro Bowl. Obviously, he had that soup, the, the Super Bowl win with the Ravens as well. 
one-time All-Pro, and he was the 2003 Offensive Player of the Year. That season, he recorded 2,066 yards, rushing and averaged 129.1 yards a game that season. I think that is a pretty good argument. However, I don't know if Jamal Lewis, comparatively to Sean Alexander's career, would warrant him moving on here. I think Sean Alexander gets the edge in this one. Yeah, I just like him for being, again, the league MVP. The 27 uh, uh, rushing touchdowns is historical. And, again, being, you know, nothing against Lewis being the top 25 for rushing, but this guy's in the top 10 for rushing touchdown. To me, scoring uh, is more important than just accumulated rushing yards. So that's, to me, why he would warrant just, again, to move on to the next round. But essentially wraps that up for bids and snubs this week. So taking us out to... Uh, Break this week is going to be Mr. Jason James with his song Fallen Hills right here on the Sportsaholic Podcast with Max Zucker and Sean Conway.
We're back here on the Sportsaholic Podcast. Sean, again, we took that long month hiatus off for what again, what is it? Just wonderful and joyous wedding. We did not talk any MLB playoffs, essentially, Sean, except a little bit of that crazy first round. Again, I didn't really watch baseball this year. I didn't really care for it. I'll call it the World Series for the show, COVID Cup, whatever, same thing. Congratulations to the Dodgers for winning this year. You know, again, more importantly and more impressively to me was the eight straight consecutive titles that they won. But kudos to them for beating the Rays in six games. And the Rays were hell of competitors, too. Uh, we'll talk about a miscue in a few minutes. But I want to give, obviously, credit to two people. Obviously, for uh, the losers in this situation, the Rays, you don't have a loser in uh, Randy Arizarena. This kid is sick, Sean. I mean, what he did was just astronomical. 29 hits, 10 home runs, 64 total bases. All of those are now new postseason records. We'll get to Arizarena later in the show, but... He can still qualify, too, for the Rookie of the Year next year because of the limited amount of bats he had during the regular season. So he's already a postseason legend, but I think this is a, uh, a blooming start for the Rays uh, for the years to come. So that's exciting for them. And obviously Clayton Kershaw, we know about his postseason not-so-much success, I would say, uh, throughout his career. Uh, entering World Series play, Sean, he was 1-2. and two with a 540 ERA, but he really set the tone in Game 1, and I thought that was the key to this entire series. Six innings pitched, one earned run, eight strikeouts, and only one walk by the ace. Uh, he had 11 and two-thirds innings pitched, three earned runs, 14 Ks, in the uh, and just three walks in the World Series this year. I thought he set the uh, tone in games one and five for the Dodgers, and that to me is what separated them uh, from the Rays. Obviously, we know uh, what happened with their uh, with their ace and Blake Snell, right, Sean? Yeah, that was probably the worst managerial move I had seen this year, and I watched a lot of White Sox baseball, so I saw a lot of bad managerial moves this past year. <laughs> with uh, Ricky Renneria at the helm for the White Sox. But no, Kevin Cash pulled one out of Rick Renneria's playbook and took out Blake Snell in the sixth. He went five and a third innings after only allowing two hits and a one earned run with nine strikeouts. And Kevin Cash goes to the pen after that? Kevin Cash cost the Rays a chance of going to game seven if, if, if they... They didn't win game six. Well, actually, they, I mean, they would have had to win game six, I, I should say. They could have co cost them a chance to go to game six because of that. I mean, game seven, I mean. Yeah, Blake no, Snell was doing seven. fine. No, He's I their ace and you take him out. Five and a third? Absolutely terrible. Ooh. And obviously, we know what happens after that. The bullpen lets up another run, and then Mookie Betts adds an insurance run with a, uh, a solo shot in the eighth to be a hero in the eighth again, just like he did with the Red Sox. And, uh, yes, yes, you know, that was, the, hey, and what that, he did with America the big, too, the big the takeaway, two, uh, the Taco Bell. Yeah. Oh yeah. And he got everyone their Mookie free tacos. Bats. Yeah. Real quick on that. Yeah. The first guy to get, uh, the Taco Bell, uh, what do they call it? Um, whatever. Burrito steal a taco, taco, steal a base. Yeah, exactly. Steal a taco or steal a base, steal a taco. Mookie did it in 2018 with the Red Sox. And now he gets his free tacos once again here, uh, in, in 2020. So I just yeah, wanted no to kidding, point no that kidding. out. But go ahead and bets. I'll figure out the... Let me look up the date real quick while you uh, go on and bets for the free Oh, it already passed. I'm, I'm, I'm almost oh, positive it already passed. 
but anyway, game really seven numbers. though, even if they did go to game seven, if Snell was left in and and held the uh, the Dodgers to less runs and you know somehow the 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 Rays managed to force a game seven, I think it would have been a major debacle because Dodgers third baseman Justin Turner was pulled mid game for a positive COVID test because he had an inconclusive results and then another test came back from Monday the from the previous week that he was in fact uh covid positive so they pulled him from the game put him in, in into the clubhouse and everything and that's where he stayed for the rest of the game and you know rumors were swirling until it was confirmed that it was pulled for for, for a positive covid test which was just weird because one he already exposed all of his teammates then throughout that game but then two he was told he could not go out and celebrate which is i understand is a major bummer you know, you live your whole life wanting to win a World Series, and you, your team finally does it, and you can't go out and celebrate with them because of this pandemic. But that's kind of what 2020 is. However, he only did not go out and celebrate for the first half hour to hour of the celebration. Then he was spotted on the field with a mask on, carrying the the the, the, the trophy around, and uh, also. Uh, taking group pictures with or without his mask on throughout the field. You know, they didn't do anything to stop him, apparently, but they told him he wasn't allowed to go. And now the MLB is investigating the, the situation. I don't know what there is to investigate. They told him he couldn't go out in the field, and he went out in the field. I, I get both sides. Yeah, he, already, he already had, you know, exposed any of the teammates that he could have possibly exposed by being in the dugout with them for the first, what was it, six innings before they pulled him. And then... Outside of that, I mean, how long ago he was, you know, playing catch, warming up with players. He was in the in the dugout. But you possibly, got other you know, people on the. You got other people on the field at that point, though, Sean. You got cameramen. You got other people's fans. Understand, you know what I mean? I, I, I understand. That's it. why it goes. Oh, that's, you just, that, that, I, I think just it was, that was a whole move. crazy. You know, what if there was a game seven? We would have had a major debacle on the hands, on our hands. Potentially, could have even had a, a postponement for game seven until. You know, maybe even not even yet. Maybe it would have been tomorrow night. Who knows? Anyways, that's all we really had on the World Series. All that's all I really had on the World Series. We uh, no, we just congratulations. Last th- last thought on it is just again congratulations to the Dodgers. I mean, and obviously Corey. We mentioned Mookie Betts and what a historic World Series performance he did. But uh, Seager too, obviously made him. Being named the MVP, we got to give kudos, last kudos to him. We've been talking about managers. There's three open seats. Two of the seats have been filled, Sean. The only seat that hasn't been filled is the Red Sox, who are currently have interviewed seven candidates, including former manager Alex Cora, who will be thrown into the mix. But let's talk, Sean, about those two managers who have been hired, obviously Tony La Russa, who was the White Sox coach from, I believe, 1979 to 86, mm-hmm. knows Jerry, and that's essentially how this guy got the job. How are you feeling about your Southsiders learning the 76-year-old La Russa? So, actually, let's back up. Before the Tony La Russa signing, uh, it was actually the day Lindsay and I were leaving for our honeymoon. And let me tell you, it was a very annoying start to the day. I mean... Just one thing after another. I hadn't unpacked the car yet from the wedding venue breakdown. So I had to unload my Jeep and then reload my Jeep with all of our stuff they were taking on the honeymoon. And then after that, I had to go 
we went to like three different gas stations because the card, my card, like wasn't being accepted at the scanner. And then I went inside and tried to pay, and then the the pump wasn't working. So I like literally, I was just having a a stress moment. I slammed my car door when I got into it. I just went to a different gas station again. And then when I get to the next gas station, my door doesn't open. the The door jam. Oh the, my the, god! The, the inside lining of my door jammed my 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 driver door, so I couldn't get out. And I, I had to figure that out. I finally got it figured out and everything. Paid the gas. I'm having heart palpitations because of all this. Uh, we start driving. My it starts to rain. My windshield wipers aren't working. We had to stop in Metropolis to get new windshield wipers. And then we're pulling out. And then Jesus. I'm like, you know, I'm so I'm 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 pretty stressed. I look at my my watch to see what it was, and it says White Sox and Rick Renneria have agreed to part ways. And I'm, I literally I screamed yes so loud. Lindsay thought I was still mad because how loud I screamed. But I was like yes, and I swear, everything that was bothering me and frustrating me and stressing me out before that had fizzled away, and I was able to start my honeymoon on a good note that Rick Renneria was no longer the manager. And then, you know, we had all these technical difficulties. We had so many notes on... I had so many notes on who I would want and who I thought was a good idea, who people were talking about. At that point, La Russa was still rumored to be a top candidate, but was not had, had not been named. I wasn't really too keen on it. I kind of wanted Sandy Alomar Jr. Uh, for a handful of reasons, but... After getting Tony La Russa named, I really can't argue it. He's the third winningest coach of all time. Regardless of how the Sox do this next year, he will very likely be the number two winningest coach or manager of all time in MLB history. He won't oh, pass he up Connie Mack. That's that's for sure. But uh, that's something he's going to bring a lot of experience. I think whoever is named the bench coach will be groomed to be the next manager in the next handful of years. Which, you know, having a Hall of Famer like Larusa mold you and mentor you into the next manager is never a bad thing, I think. I do think there was a bit of nepotism. Jerry Reinsdorf kind of always seen Tony Larusa as a son like figure. And when Hawk Harrelson was the GM and fired Larusa in 86, Reinsdorf has gone on record since then saying it's the biggest regret of his career. So I think this was kind of trying to right or wrong a little bit. A little skeptical on the guy coming in. Uh, to, to the job after being nine years out of a managerial position. And now he's worked as like an advisor with the Angels for some time now. So he's not completely removed from the game. But he does fit a lot of criteria I was looking for in a Sox manager. One, he knows how to get the job done, obviously. The last time he managed a team, they went to the World Series. And, and won it, I believe, too, right? 2011? Yeah. Correct. So and outside, of, outside of that, I wanted someone who could speak fluent Spanish so he'd be able to communicate with a lot of the young guys who don't really speak much English or even the older guys like Jose who doesn't like to speak much English he puts on a lot more that that he that he can't but he he definitely understands it more but it's still good to have that and I was actually shocked to know that Spanish was Tony La Russa's first language his his mother is from his mother's family's from Spain and his father's family's from Sicily both parents are fluent in Spanish and uh, his father's uh, also fluent in Italian, so Spanish was actually his first language, and then then he learned English. So that was actually a, a surprising fact oh, that's to cool. me. I didn't know that. When I learned that. Yeah, that is. I didn't know that either. I think the next bench coach should be a catcher, and I know you're gonna hate this, but I would really like to see AJ Przinsky be named the 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 bench coach for the White Sox. I know he wants a managerial move. I, he threw his hat into the ring when uh, when um, asked about it 
you know, over this last few weeks while he while their Sox were looking for a replacement. I don't think he's ready to be a manager, obviously, but I think he's definitely a good mind, a good baseball mind to be molded into one, and definitely a young and fun figure that people want to see in uh, as a as a potential hey, manager. Look, if- if you're a White Sox fan, I think actually both things like do I I know everyone wanted like uh, you know an AJ Hinch or somebody who's more saver metrics you know more medically driven that way, but I think this is almost kind of the way to go. Larusa again, a great manager, three World Series, uh, six World Series appearances. This team's ready to win now, and I think Tony's are ready to win now. Some of what he was doing with like the Diamondbacks. Uh, the Angels you mentioned, the Red Sox that he's worked with, has been some more stuff on the analytical front. So I actually think that bodes well to the White Sox. And yeah, I know I, my least favorite player probably growing up, or one of them, was A.J. Brzezinski. Still don't like the guy. Uh, but no, I think he's the perfect candidate, Sean. I think you named it on the T. I think he's the perfect candidate to mold for you know two, three, four years under, again, a great mind like Larusa. Um, and I do think AJ being, again, of the younger category, would love to look up to a guy like LaRusa and also probably would be helping LaRusa as one of the younger guys uh, be able to communicate better and understand some of the Sabre metrics probably a little bit more than, uh, you know, Tony does at his given age of 76. So I, you know, I know Chicago was initially shocked. Uh, I don't think, again, I, I'd rather have this situation again with a great baseball mind like Tony where he grooms someone than you, you know, bringing in Alex Korja or A.J. Hinch, who's the next uh, manager we're going to talk about. But any final thoughts on your sacks or should we move on to Mr. Hinch? Let's move on to Hinch. So I'll get started on this. I, I had mentioned before today's show, we actually originally had planned before any coaches or any managers were named uh, and everything. I had down Sandy Alomar as my, my top name for – the White Sox, and I had mentioned, um, I, was, I mentioned in my notes for that that Tony Larusa was named as one of the top candidates at the at the time, but I would, was looking more for that. However, I had actually had AJ Hinge as my top candidate for the Tigers. I know mm. I didn't want AJ Hinge to be with the White Sox because of the Astros connotations that will be following his name. Upon more reading, it appears AJ Hinge did not have as much of as an involvement, as much as he just didn't rat out his players as a manager, as someone who uh, trying to understand it, not trying to divide a clubhouse or split a clubhouse, not ratting out his players. I can understand that he did smash up screens and he was like always condoning the players, telling them to, to, you know, knock it off and everything. But he was complicit in, in not, you know, coming forward to the authorities with it. That's why he was suspended and lost his job and everything. I don't think also, on top of that, that for that reason, he should be given a ready-made team that was ready to contend. Give him a team where he has to suffer through a few years of, of rebuilding with the Tigers. And I think that was a perfect fit. And, you know, the, the, the baseball world was really just waiting on the White Sox to make their move to decide on where the rest of the manager will fall. And I think uh, no, we'll I- see some more moves happen in the next couple of days. No, I like what you said on that. You know, Hinch, again, did, you know, my only question is how much did he benefit? Like, how much is he actually a great manager? You know, I know a lot exactly. of people say and I And I get that argument, court. too. And I think that's exactly where I would go with Hinch. Like, because this young, this, 
I agree. This Tigers team is not ready to compete yet. I think they're still probably two years away from being a really contention. So can he mold these players the next two years and then be able to compete? We'll see. His tenure in Arizona, to me, was uh, disastrous. Now, I know that was his first and second years as a manager, and he didn't necessarily have the best of squads. But, you know, how much did they actually benefit from the cheating system? I think that's what we'll see. We'll see how good of a manager A.J. Hinch is or how much cheating actually helped him. We'll see it over the next three or four years on how it unfolds. But I have no other new uh, notes, Sean, on baseball. Uh, unless you don't, I say let's take a quick break here. Uh, I just wanted to mention the Red Sox real quick. Uh, they do have an opening. Uh, I think they're heading into a rebuild right now, so I think it would be smart to bring in a former player, maybe a catcher mind. I think catchers will make great managers, so I'm always a big fan of that. Jason Veritek is currently working as a special assistant within the Red Sox organization. I think that might be a good fit to bring him in, a young guy, to uh, take on a team that's going into a rebuild. That's all I really had in baseball. Was, um, outside I would of say that, that real I think quick we can go break and, uh, and go into, go into what is that, uh, football next? Yeah, going into football next. Just on real quick on Veritek, I do think he would be the first thing. I don't think they're going to go into full rebuild motion because they still have that good core with Devers and uh, Martinez. And, you know, once Chris Sale comes back and they're paying him. But for the next two years while well, they kind of build, and then the next two years after that, he's the perfect guy again. He was the captain there forever. Won two World Series there. And like you said, they're molding catchers is the way to go. So I do like that note. But let's go on to another note. The NFL, in fact, NFL game starting 30 minutes, actually 23 minutes from now, Sean, because it's almost noon here on the Sportsaholic Podcast on a glorious Sunday. We'll be right back here with the NFL News of the Week on the Sports Hog Podcast with Max Zucker and Sean Conway. You can't buy a best friend. You can love them, walk them, pet them, and care for them, whether they want you to or not. You can take a picture or 50. You can fly to the moon, travel the world, or just stay in bed. You can't buy a best friend like that, but you can adopt one. There are millions of pets waiting for a best friend just like you. Help us save them all at bestfriends.org. And we're back for another lap here on the Sportsaholics podcast. Max, my boy Tua Tagovailoa, getting the start this week down in Miami. So, the Dolphins coming off of a bye week, and before their bye week... You see that uh, he was pretty heartbroken by the decision. He felt that he had earned the, 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 the position as the starter here. However, he had to know that he was just the filler until two was healthy. You don't take a quarterback in the first round, you know, four, was it fourth overall? Did they, had him, they got him for? Fifth overall. They don't, you, don't, you don't get a... Fitzpatrick was having a pretty decent year, however... I think it's two a time, and it's it's it was pretty funny. I uh, was was hearing a bunch of stuff. I listened to the Dan Lebetard show, and they're obviously based in Miami, so they do have a little bit more uh, of a Miami focus to their show. They were talking a lot about Tua, and it's kind of getting me excited for this game this week. I, I hope Aaron Donald doesn't really cut him in half. That would be uh, that would be upsetting to see that in his uh, his starting debut, but. We'll have to see. I, I, I'm excited for for two. I hope he can have a good a, a, a good strong career. I do too. I like the kid again. I hope he has a strong career. And this is exactly why you don't play him against Aaron Donald and the Rams. Uh, 
Sean, uh, I'll make the point on Tua that way. It's been 351 days since his injury, so in two weeks it'll be a full year. So we're at about the whole year per, and I understand he's close to go or 100%, but still to me I just think it's too early. I think he shouldn't hold the clipboard for the year. Learn from uh, Fitzmagic, who's having a really great year. He's tied six overall with Drew Brees with his 80.7 QBR, and they're still in the thick of the playoff race. The Bills are 5-2, and two, but Miami sits there at 503-3, and three, and you know New England isn't probably going to make much of a comeback this year. The Jets are on their way to being 0-8 when they play Kansas City later today, so I just, I like, I like what Fitzmagic brings to the Dolphins this year, and I like what Tua brings to the future. I would hate for this kid to get hurt, and then it's going to be a really big drawback for uh for the Dolphins franchise but that's that's just my personal like uh, my personal spin on it but let's talk about some uh, wide receivers who are coming back in the NFL yeah so there was uh you know back when we started doing our notes for this when it was originally supposed to be a week ago no one had signed him Antonio Brown was rumored to be uh you know available for pickup after his suspension ends following this week of games in week eight so there was a lot of people, uh, you know, looking out for him. The one team that really wasn't on his radar was our beloved Chicago Bears because Antonio Brown said he would not want to play with Foles as a quarterback. I thought it would have been pretty good to uh, to have him go to Seattle. That would have been a good fit for him. However, he did land with Tom Brady yet again. So Tom Brady mm-hmm. and, and Antonio Brown, actually they're, they're roommates right now, Tom Brady keeping an eye on him. But uh, Antonio Brown signed a $2.5 million one-year deal with the Bucks. None of the, none of the deal is guaranteed money. It's highly incentivized, heavily based on, on performance and everything. Which it should be at this and point. And it should be. But... Uh, with Brady being his, uh, his, 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 I guess his dad right now and keeping an eye on him, uh, Brady has been saying he, <laughs> he thinks that Antonio Brown will be ready to go by next week. Wow, that's insane. Just, you know, after all that controversy, now you think about adding him in with Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. Jesus, and Gronk. I mean, he's got, Brady's got the whole show. We'll see. They should be definitely one of the two top two or three favorite teams now if they get a healthy Brown and he's still got some product, uh, productivity left for this uh, uh, Brady and co. team. It's going to be quite interesting to see what happens in Tampa Bay. Uh, hey, speaking of wide receivers again back, Des Bryant, baby, he's back in the NFL. Baltimore has brought in the veteran wide receiver to the practice squad at this point, uh, which is uh, understandable as Des has not played since December of 2017. If you remember, Sean, back in 2018, the Saints signed him to a one-year deal, but he tore his Achilles tendon in the first day of practice. But I understand why Baltimore is bringing in the former Dallas wide receiver star as uh, the Baltimore wide receiver group is last in the NFL in receptions with 58, and they're last in the NFL in receiving yards with 737. So we'll see what they can get out of the almost 32-year-old Des Bryant who has, again, 73 career touchdowns uh, with the Cowboys is their franchise record. Um, Des had this uh, to say, and then we'll move on to the game of the week. He said, my emotions 
running high right now. That that that. I'm thankful. That that that. I can't stop crying. I like Des enough uh, that I do. I hope again. I hope him and Antonio Brown have a nice second chapter to hopefully what will be a couple more years in the NFL. We'll we'll be cheering for them here on the podcast. Game of the week though, Sean. Uh, after last week's performance against the Bears, we will for the Bears we will not be discussing them. We'll be taking it out west to San Fran. And Seattle. Sean, why don't you get it started with Seattle? All right. So, Seattle is coming off of a gut-wrenching overtime loss to Arizona last Sunday night. Russell Wilson looked absolutely terrible. He had three interceptions last week. You'll need to tighten that up as they get set to face the number four pass defense in the league in San Francisco, who has been keeping their their opposing quarterbacks to a 78.5 quarterback rating and... Under, just over 200 yards passing at 203.3 yards a game. Defensively, the Seahawks need to step it up on both pass and rush game. The Cardinals picked them apart in the air and on the ground last week. San Fran has a pretty solid run game. Jimmy G, not so worried about him in the air, but you really need to step it up if you're going to be able to slow down that run game that San Fran has, which is just absolutely stellar. No, absolutely. I agreed on that. You don't have to worry about Jimmy G as much as his 245 passing yards per game are ranking about 21st in the league. So he's about, you know, a little bit less than average. However, again, that rushing tack for San Fran, and they've had banged up backs the whole year, but they're still eighth in rushing, averaging 137.7 uh, yards per game. So I like them on the ground. They've been kind of that weird team this uh, year. You know, they've made a couple good wins. In fact, back-to-back wins against the Rams, against the Patriots, who they whooped 33-6 uh, to six last week. But, you know, then you see, like, staggering losses versus the Eagles, 25-20, to 20, to the Dolphins, 43-17. to 17. So it's like, what team is San Francisco going to come out? Are they going to come out running the football and playing, you know, hard no, you know, Hard-nosed defense, even though it's banged up, that's what Kyle Shanahan's going to have to uh, rely on because I think, you know, the more you put it in the hands of your running back, the better off you are keeping Russell Wilson off the field. As we all know, he's looking like the MVP of the league this year, Sean. So I, yeah, so I think, again, it's going to be a fantastic game. That is a 325 kickoff today. In fact, again, we are about 10 minutes to uh, the start of kickoff to the noon games here. So we'll see all the action. Maybe we'll give a couple live updates through the podcast. But we're going to take a quick break here on the podcast. And on the flip side of this break, we'll get into some NHL and NBA uh, news that we missed over the past month here on the old Sportsaholic Podcast with Max Zucker and Sean Conway. There are a few things Max or I like more than tossing back a few beers and watching the game. But don't worry, if you happen to miss the game, we've got your back. Tune into the Sports Hawk Podcast with myself, Max Zucker, alongside Sean Conway, with new episodes available weekly on SoundCloud. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date with new shows and our occasional takes on things happening in the sports world throughout the week. Yeah. 
We're back here on the Sportsaholic Podcast. Sean, not a lot of crazy stuff going on in the NBA or NHL world as of recently, but let's just kind of do what's the bigger news over the last month or so. A lot of, obviously, coaches going places in the NBA, including veteran coach Stan Van Gundy. He is going to take on the uh, Pelicans' job to aid that young core of, of course, Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram, Jackson Hayes, and this year they have the 13th overall pick, so it'll be interesting to see who they bring in to team with those guys. Uh, Van Gundy was the coach prior to at uh, Miami, Detroit, and Orlando. He has a 523 career wins against 384 career losses in uh, the regular season. And this is the only Knicks on him is his postseason record of 48-43. and So we'll see if he can get it done this time again with that uh, young core, again, leading with Zion. Uh, Tyron Liu will get promoted after the firing of Doc Rivers. He was the assistant coach uh, to Rivers for the Clippers, but now will be the head coach. He's still young, just at age 43 years old, and won that uh, championship with Cleveland and LeBron James back in 2016. I think he'll be a good fit for the Clippers moving forward. Sean, who do you got? Uh, one last name we got would be Nate Bjorkgren being named the next coach of the Indiana Pacers. He worked as an assistant under Nick Nurse for the Toronto Raptors. Only other note I really had on this was how it was kind of funny, the the major confusion that you and I had. Oh, my God, uh, that's I'm right. I'm sure many people also had this, too, because he had a different name being tossed around across multiple media platforms, and I could not after all the research, find where they came up with Kevin. No, but me either. You and I were arguing on the phone like, no, his name is Nate. No, his name is Kevin. That was funny. ESPN we were getting really angry Kevin. at each other, too. Yeah, well, MSNBC or NBC says it's Nate. We were going back and yeah. forth. We were arguing like children. It's like children, and truly. Then, literally, it was just a, a media mishap <laughs> where they named him and Kevin Bjorkgren. I mean, please, someone... Reach out to us if, if you can tell us why they named him Kevin. But <laughs> Please, right. That'd be great. We're going back and forth. I thought that was hilarious. But, yeah, it's Nate Bjorkgren. Don't let ESPN fool you. His name is not Kevin. Uh, yeah. That's all the, all the NBA news I really had, though. Uh, if you want to move on to the slick stuff real quick. Um, Seattle Kraken. Now they're getting a Kraken, I should say, at <laughs> building their staff. Uh, and that they, they hired on... It uh, looks like seven positions to uh, add to their training staff, one of those being former player and Stanley Cup champion Gary Roberts, coming in as a sports science and performance consultant. Sure. He's previously worked as a trainer for Connor McDavid and Steve Stamkos, among others. Uh, and like I said, six other positions within the training staff have been filled. I didn't really see any names that were of note, though, that would stand out to anyone. So no. that's all I really have for hockey, um, no, not, except for not, one last bit of news. Right, Max? Uh, we got two last quick pieces of news here, Sean. But, yeah, I didn't see too much either. It'll be interesting to see how that Seattle team unfolds uh, going into next year. Uh, the Hockey Hall of Fame has moved its inductions, of course, due to the coronavirus to, 220, uh, to 2021. They will not name a new class. That's the uh, lone decision this year. Instead, it will be the six players that have already been 
uh, uh, well, have been already called, but will be uh, inaugurated next year again, or in 2021, uh, November 5th, uh, 12th through the 15th is when we will see our favorite of this group, Marion Hosa, of course, Sean, and then, of course, Drew Om Ignala, uh, Kevin Lowe, Kim, uh, Kim St. Pierre, Doug Wilson, and uh, Ken Holland. They will all be, of course, be immortalized. Again, it just won't be for about another year from now due, of course, to the pandemic. Last piece of news. This one's a bittersweet one, Sean. But, God, this guy is great. Mike Dak Emmerich retiring as the hockey play-by-play broadcaster. I mean, we all know Dak Emmerich from the, all the memorable moments of the Stanley Cups that he's called. Uh, just what a great, great resume this guy uh uh, possesses. He is one of the, you know, in all of sports, Sean, in all, I would say, the four major sports that I listen to, Dak Emmerich's voice might be the second or third most uh, missed voice that I'm going to hear, minus probably Vince Scully's across the board. But this is going to be a voice I absolutely, uh, absolutely uh, am going to miss. What a great, what a great uh, broadcaster. And we know already in 2008 he was inducted to the Hockey Hall of Fame, and he should be. He's a true Hall of Famer and a true gem. But that is all I have for hockey this week. Yeah, you know, I couldn't agree more. When I think hockey, I think Doc Emmerich's voice. Yeah, and right. It's, it's, it's going to be sad not having that voice during the, the playoffs anymore to listen to and, you know, the occasional NBC games that were nationally broadcast and everything. But, however... Kudos to him on a, on a great career, and I hope he enjoys the rest of uh, his, his life in retirement. Yeah, absolutely. I hope he absolutely does. At age 74, it's probably time to go. But again, Doc, you will be missed. Uh, and Sean, exactly. Let's take a quick break here, though, on the Sportsaholic podcast. On the flip side, man, it's been a whole month again since we podcasted, so I got a big trivia question for you. Sean, I believe, has got double drinks of the week for us here. So, man, it's going to be a fest here for the last block of the Sportsaholic podcast this week, right here with Max Zucker and Sean Conway. The Sportsaholic podcast is powered by the Snowball Ice Microphone by Blue Microphones. The Snowball Ice microphone features an audio condenser mic capsule, which delivers a rich, detailed audio you'd expect from a professional studio, making it perfect for recording music, podcasts, live streaming, or even dictation. The Snowball Ice is an easy plug-in-and-play USB microphone that doesn't require any additional software to be downloaded. Just plug in, and you're good to go. Snowball Ice by Blue Microphones. We're back here on the Sportsaholic Podcast. Like I mentioned we got some trivia to get into. This one happens to go to, of course, Randy Arizarena, who is obviously, like we mentioned, has the most hits, the most home runs, the most total bases, Sean, in a single playoff series. And I understand it could be people might allude to this because it was a longer postseason. There was more games, but he still set the record. And again, this kid can still qualify, Sean, for the Rookie of the Year this year. So... You know, I, I have to give this kid all the kudos and the credit. But his 10 home runs, Sean, are the most in playoff history. Second place is tied with four people who have each have eight playoff home runs. Who are those okay. second place people? We have all seen them in our lifetime. I will put it to you that way. In fact, all going from the uh, from starting from 2000 and plus, let's just say. 
Okay. Uh, uh, Barry Bonds has got to be on that list. Uh, Barry Bonds in 2002 had eight home runs across his 74 uh, plate appearances. Okay. Is Jose Atuve from his, uh, his cheating year on that list? Uh, no, but one of his teammates is. In fact, his biggest cheating teammate from that year. Oh, Carlos Beltran? Big, but Carlos Beltran. And that, the more important thing about Beltran, he did it in 2004 with the Astros, who didn't even make the World Series. He had his eight home runs in 56 plate appearances. But again, they lost in either six or seven to the Cardinals that year. Uh, but go ahead. Uh, we have two more. In fact, we might want to think about one that's really recent. I mean, extremely recent. Would that be Corey Seager? Yeah, Corey Seager this year had eight home runs himself yeah, when being named so. again World Series. That's Yeah, exactly. Uh, one more guy on this list. I think I'll give you a quick clue. Uh, a lot, me and you had this debate a, long, a little bit ago. I, you were naming all the reasons for Jose Abreu to be the MVP, and I just wasn't sold yet because I had this guy as my leading guy at the time. At the time. This is about, like, you know, a month ago. That Nelson Cruz? Yeah, Nelson Cruz is saying, hey, you do remember the conversation then, who had uh, eight home runs and 70 plate appearances. So good job on that list, but exactly. More important, Randy again, who just, whew, those 10 home runs. What a, uh, what a, what a feat to have in the postseason. Sean, what have you been drinking on over the past month? What do you got for the show today? Max, this one has been in my fridge since I got back from North Carolina. Oh, I gotta wow. say, this is probably my second favorite pumpkin beer of all time. And this okay, one wow. is from Canton, North Carolina, was the town, which actually it was a town that Lindsay and I really liked, and one of the uh, possible locations of area towns to look at. It's about 25 minutes outside of Asheville. Really nice little location right in the, uh, in the Blue Ridge Mountains. But this one is called the it's from Bear Waters uh, Brewing Company, and this one's called the Pumpkin PFD, which is an amber ale brewed with pumpkin and spices. It is 6.6% alcohol by volume, and they don't do growlers at this uh, at this brewery, but they do have little like six packs of all their beers, and um, okay. the bottle is actually kind of shaped like a uh, a red a red stripe bottle. If you ever seen those bottles before, yeah, plenty, plenty, a short, short and thick one. Um, but it's a really good one. I mean, almost tastes like you're drinking a slice of pumpkin pie. And I said it's my hey. second favorite pumpkin beer of all time. My number one, obviously, I've got to shout them out: Molly's Pints, Molly's Pumpkin. They have it on tap right now. That's why I want to give them a shout out. Nice. It is a really, really good beer. It tastes like you're drinking pumpkin pie. And the what wow. I liked about the, the, the one from North Carolina, though, when you had it there and, and uh, at the brewery, on top of the head, the, 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 the foam of your beer, they sprinkled on, like, little pumpkin pie spice on top of it. So, you like, literally you were drinking a pumpkin pie. It was really, it was pretty cool. But I, you know how I love pumpkin beers? And now that it's... It's, I was uh, gonna you know, say if I trust one person, time to have pumpkin beers. So now November, expect some more pumpkin beers from your favorite pumpkin slut. 
I was gonna say I would try, I will take your uh, pumpkin beer recommendations, my pumpkin slut. But uh, uh, no, that sounds good. And hey, I'll give a shout out to Molly's Pint too, man. They were great for your weddings. Just going back, kind of like we talked about in the earlier uh, part of the show about your wedding. Uh, you know, again, uh, po- shout out to them. They had great beer the entire time. I really enjoyed that Irish red. More so, I've mentioned this before, that jalapeno beer. I was super excited that they had it. I probably, I'm not going to lie, I probably had a whole 12-pack of that jalapeno beer. It was so good it's at your really wedding. Uh, yeah, it was really tasty. And, uh, and a quick uh, shout-out to Sergio's, too, who catered your wedding, man. I hadn't had Sergio's since the last time I was down in Carbondale, which was like 15 months prior. Oh. Every time, man. Every time they just outdo themselves. So that was good food, good beer. So shout out to those two places. Uh, good choice, though, for the drink of the week. Uh, again, Mr. Pumpkin Slut. Uh, let's get into really quick what we missed. Uh, a couple things in the basketball world. Uh, the Utah Jazz have been officially sold. They have been sold to the founder of Qualdricks. Uh, his name is Mr. Ryan Smith. And they sold for an astounding one. billion dollars. Mr. Smith is 40 years old, so he's going to be a very young owner. He's a lifetime Utah resident and a huge jazz fan who built this software company again called uh, Qualdricks. It's been according to Forbes, it's worth about $8 billion. So this will be a guy who can pump some money into the jazz. franchise obviously the nba board of governors must formally approve the sale but i believe this will get done in no problem and former houston rockets general manager daryl morey is finalizing a deal sean uh, to become the 76ers new president of basketball operations uh it's not that's not a surprise there as he has good relations with general manager elton brand who will be uh able to uh keep his current position and obviously rivers and Mori have a long time uh history and have a good relationship so there is no real surprise there super bowl news sean uh the nfl is moving forward with plans to reduce the capacity for Super Bowl 55. It is going to be hosted at Tampa Bay's Raymond James Stadium, which holds 65,000 fans. The NFL is currently thinking about doing it at 20% capacity, which would allow about 13,000 fans. Fans, though, Sean, this is the key part about this, and I'll let you get in the fight corner. Fans, though, will be in pads, six feet apart, while being wearing masks during the Super Bowl. So that is going to look really weird for the Super Bowl broadcast. Just a quick note on that before you get into Fight Corner. Wow. Holy wow. smokes, yeah. One other, thing we, one other thing we did miss before we go to Fight Corner, the sure. MLB owners did vote to approve ah, uh, yes, the uh, purchase good call. of the Mets. Good call. So good call. We, we did miss that, but that's you know we, we all saw that coming anyway. Going in the fight corner, last week we had UFC 254, Khabib Nurmagomedov defeating Justin Gaethje by submission in round two of the main event lightweight title bout. And then he immediately retired afterwards, cites the loss of his father as a major factor in his retirement. And then that following week he was placed at the top of the list for the UFC pound-for-pound pound best fighter. So now moving forward, 
We'll be looking at other names. I know Conor McGregor's got a, a fight now, I think, scheduled for January. So it looks like he'll be uh, back in the, in the contention for, for lightweight titles now that his, uh, his foe Khabib is no longer going to be fighting to uh, keep him from getting that title back. Uh, outside of that, we had some good boxing matches this past week. I didn't even write down their names, but I did watch some highlights. A really, really devastating uppercut knockout last night in, in, uh, against, um, what was his name? Oh, I can't even remember his last name, but it was a ooh, killer left uppercut. Just knocked him out cold. Uh, outside of that, we'll have the next set of matchups in the bids and snubs bracket next week. Uh, maybe the maybe we'll have the Red Sox will have their next one. I know Alex Cora is another name that's been tossed around to see if they welcome back with uh, with open arms or not. And uh, we'll probably start talking more about college football now that yeah. we're going to be in the off season for baseball, basketball, and hockey for the next couple of months. So we'll we'll have a lot to talk about. Maybe even more some more college football news, Max. Outside of that, I'm looking forward to doing some more uh, frequent podcasts with you, Bally. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know me, Sean Conway. I'm never short of a college football conversation. I am looking forward to getting a, hopefully some more Big Ten uh, action. As actually, we had a cancellation already in the Big Ten, so hopefully, we'll be able to talk some college football here, Sean. Exactly. I uh, totally understand. It was a good month off. Actually, I'm glad again, you, uh, Lindsay. Congratulations, I should say, against you guys getting married first and foremost. I'm glad you guys had a wonderful. Uh, honeymoon. So those things to me are the first and foremost. And now again, glad to have you back here on the Sportsaholic podcast. Um, with my quick message of the day, it just—I'm not going to do a quote or anything like that. It's just think when you come to vote. Uh, if you haven't already voted, if you're going to vote this Tuesday, really think about the choices that you're going to make and how they're going to impact our country going forward. That's my only message. When you get to that ballot box on Tuesday. Think. Don't think about what your mom says, your dad, your uncle, your best friend, your neighbor. Think about what's best for this country moving forward. Make the right choice on um, on Tuesday. But I'm going to leave that off with that, Sean. Again, great to have you back. Great to be back here on the Sportsaholic Podcast. So saying goodbye this week, I'm Max Zucker signing off for Sean Conway. And we'll see you right back here on the Sportsaholic Podcast next week. Until then, go Bears. Bye.